today on the Online Enquirer podcast, Michael Tulip. It's your favorite time of week, right? When Michael Tulip joins us to break down Illinois basketball, which is on a roll right now, has won four straight, and with five of the next seven at home, a couple against reeling teams over the next week, Illinois really has a chance to get back in this Big Ten race. Purdue is setting a blistering pace, and they are the most consistent team in the Big Ten by far with the National Player of the Year candidate, Zach Eady, who has just been a monster uh, throughout the season. Uh, What a win for them at Michigan State. But uh, Illinois is correcting itself. And Michael Tewitt breaks down why, what he's seen over the last two games, an impressive home win to come back and beat Michigan State, and then to go on the road, you know, have some foul trouble, face some adversity, and then to come out with an 18-point victory that didn't seem all that close based on their second-half dominance. So Michael Tewitt gets into Dane Danger's improvement. Matthew Meyer, what's clicked for him, what he's seeing from the freshmen, especially Jade Neps and Ty Rogers, and just how this team is coming together. Together, and he looks ahead to the next few games as well against Indiana and Ohio State. Before we get to Mike, I just wanted to weigh in a little bit. I haven't uh, had the time to dive into all the numbers that I want to here, but let's talk about Illinois football getting, I think, as good a news as they could possibly desire about returners to its program. Over the last week, we've seen several more defenders announce they are returning to Illinois, and none bigger, of course. Then the law firm uh, of Johnny Newton and Keith Randolph. Kudos to Brett Bielman for coming up with the nickname and, and that sticking. Uh, and these two are often mentioned together. And why wouldn't we mention them together again uh, after they announce they're returning within an hour of each other? Keith Randolph does it first on Monday and then it follows up with Johnny Newton. And I don't think there's enough adjectives to describe what it means for these two two to come back huge humongous significant program changing because these are two guys that could have made the leap to the nfl and maybe in the non-nil age they do and and that's underlying all of this but also these are guys that were draft prospects not certainties i think johnny newton was a certainty to get drafted at some point uh and keith randolph uh, he talked with an nfl scout Late round pick, maybe an undrafted free agent. So it always made sense for Keith Randolph to come back. Johnny Newton, I don't know how much he can improve his stock, but kudos to Brett Bielma, Terrence Jamison, and the staff that he has the confidence that if he comes back, makes a little NIL money, that he can prove himself as not just a draft pick, but as maybe a higher draft pick than a lot of people think of him now. Because after the breakout season he just had, which he led all Big Ten defensive lineman all power five defensive lineman and pressures a stat i love from pro football focus because it's hard for defensive linemen interior guys i'm talking about defensive tackles traditionally to get sacks like they're just a hard stat for guys to get sacks which is why aaron donald is, is so ridiculous but johnny newton led power five defensive linemen with 59 pressures that's according to pro football focus he also led the team in tackles for loss 14 and had five and a half sacks, which is ridiculous. All our quarterback hits 11. If you watch the games and you focus on the defensive line, which we should all do that a little bit more, just focus on the trenches. I know it's hard during game, but that's why I love going back and watching film. Johnny Newton was just a wrecking ball. I just I don't know how much better of a season he can put together than what he did. The NFL might see he doesn't have the greatest length. He's he's six foot two. He's 295 pounds, not the biggest guy. But I think if he would have gotten into workouts, he would have gotten in interviews, I think it's a guy who could have been a third or fourth round pick. 
So the fact that they got him back, I think, is one of the most significant developments of the offseason. And then you get Keith Randolph back, which I thought you should have, but the fact that you got him back is another guy that was ridiculously disruptive. 32 pressures, 13 tackles for loss, four and a half sacks, five quarterback hits. It's one of the best defensive linemen in the Big Ten. Six foot five, 300 pounds, more of the prototypical, what you want from a defensive line prospect, especially a guy that's versatile. I think he's a 3-4 defensive end in the league, and he's shown that in Ryan Walter's scheme and Illinois' scheme the last couple years. But I just did, like, what this means for the Big Ten, there are, according to the All-Big Ten coaches, All-Big Ten team, there are five guys that were All-Big Ten coaches selections, first, second, and third team defensive linemen returning this year. So Mike Morris and Maisie Smith of Michigan are gone. Lucas Van Ness, Iowa, gone. Garrett Nelson, Nebraska, gone. Zach Harrison, Ohio State, gone. P.J. Mustafer, Penn State, gone. Keanu Benton, Wisconsin, gone. There are only five guys left out of the 12 that were named all Big Ten by coaches. Johnny Newton and J.T. Tumuloa of Ohio State are the only first-team guys back. So you have one of the two best defensive linemen in the Big Ten returning. And to be honest with you, Johnny Newton and Devin Witherspoon were two of my three um, Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year picks. I had three selections. Those two, and I had Jack Campbell of Iowa under consideration. So Johnny Newton returns as one of the most impactful defensive players, now not just defensive linemen. Then you get three third-team guys returning. Keith Randolph, Adisa Isaac, Penn State, which is a little bit of a surprise, and then Aaron Lewis of Rutgers. So two of the five guys returning from the All-Big Ten defensive line team by the coaches are returning to Illinois. And then on top of that, Seth Coleman, I figured, would return. He announces he's returning. Tariq Barnes announces he's returning. C.J. Hart, didn't think he would... I I didn't know if he'd make the leap to the NFL after not a very impactful season, but he announces he's returning. That's six of your seven front seven defenders returning from the number one scoring defense in the country. Calvin Avery's the only one that's gone. Now, Isaac D'Arcangelo only started a few games. If you want to count him into the starters, that's a loss. He was a really good player this year. When C.J. Hart didn't look as explosive coming off that knee injury, just didn't make as big of an impact, Isaac D'Arcangelo was their best sideline-to-sideline linebacker. So they got to hold the fill there, and you got you got to have T-Rot Edwards step up into Calvin Avery. But I don't think it's ridiculous to say that Illinois has the most proven defensive front returning in the Big Ten. I didn't say most talented because I don't know if I want to go out on that limb in a conference that includes what Ohio State's doing in recruiting, what Michigan does in recruiting, and what uh, Penn State does in recruiting. But I, I think I haven't gone through those rosters. I think one of those teams or two of those teams might trade talent for a year with Illinois in the defensive front. Because you have Seth Coleman, who's an NFL player, in my opinion, or at least an NFL prospect. I thought he was, his first half of the year especially, I thought was great. He had an injury, slowed down a little bit after that, but he was still an impactful edge rusher, and he just gets his arms into passing lanes. He had 10 pass breakups from that edge spot. It's ridiculous. Gabe Ackes. We know how good he can be. We saw how good he could be this year. Slowed down a little bit towards the end of the year, but he was a really good Big Ten starter, all Big Ten honorable mention. According to the media, Seth Coleman, 
all Big Ten honorable mention by the media. I think I had Seth in my second team. He was tied for fifth in the Big Ten in pressures at 37. So you have potentially at least four NFL draft prospects up front. Guys, that has not happened in a while. Corey Legit and Akeem Spence, I believe, are on the same defensive line. Akeem and Whitney Merciless were on the same defensive line. This is as talented of a group as Illinois has had up front in a really, really long time. And then Tariq Barnes is just a veteran, a team captain, just a really solid linebacker. I'd put him in the mix with like Jonathan Brown. You know, for just what you probably not the NFL draft prospect, but just a really good college linebacker. And I think CJ Hart, another year removed from surgery. I'm wondering if he can if he can be better. Because we saw a three game sample size, which I I kept saying I don't know how much I want to look into that, how much we can translate that over an entire season. Uh, you know, at Nebraska. That was a phenomenal game. And you saw what kind of athlete he is. We never saw that this year, so maybe, but at the very worst he gives you a veteran presence. And you get two quality starting linebackers back behind the best defensive front, arguably. Well, I, I think it's certainly the best defensive front in the Big Ten West and one of the best defensive fronts in the country, right? So those guys should be able to make some plays. And then if somebody like Kanena Odaluga or James Crutes or whoever it is at linebacker can step up. Dylan Rosiak, Malachi Hood. There's some talent coming up, and Antoine Hayden, I think, can play a Kanena Odaluga role as kind of the situational pass rusher early in his career, play some special teams. That's a really good group up front. And to be honest with you, if they would have lost Newton and or Randolph, there's not much behind them. Now they could have gone to the transfer portal, and I thought Illinois not going hard in the transfer portal for defensive linemen kind of told us a little bit about how they felt about Newton and Randolph coming back, the confidence level they had. But you get more time to develop those players behind them. Maybe you can get a transfer who's got multiple years of eligibility that can be a part of the rotation right away and then can be a starter after Newton and Randolph decide to go pro probably after this next year, right? Because Newton's this is going to be his fourth year and uh, Randolph is going to be his fifth year of college. So just a phenomenal job by Brett Bielma. Like I wrote, this is the best, the most important recruiting job they had. Like this is the most significant offseason development. More than the transfer portal, though of course the quarterback is huge. More so than the prep recruiting, and they got three four-star prospects. But getting Johnny Newton and Keith Randolph back to go along with Seth Coleman, some of these other guys we thought would come back, has been huge. And then I think Isaiah Adams and Julian Pearl. I throw them in the mix. To get those four guys back especially. All of a sudden, Isaiah Adams was an all-Big Ten third-team selection by the media. Uh, let me look at the coaches. The coaches did not have him on there. I thought that was ridiculous. But he was also Julian Pearl. Honorable mention, all Big Ten. Pearl and Adam, like I heard Adams was getting graded at third or fourth round by some NFL guys. Now, that's from one person that I heard that from. So maybe it was, even if it was fifth round, to get him back, Julian Pearl. Some people in the program told me at the bowl game, like, NFL scouts might be as high on his long-term ceiling than anybody because of his length, because of his athleticism, because he can play left tackle. So somebody probably would have taken a flyer on him, even if he's not going to be counted on to play right away. And I think his ceiling is is massive. I think Illinois' sell to him was, give us one more year. One more year because Julian was good. I think he can be great. And if he's great for a year at left tackle, 
then maybe this is a guy that can go day two. Isaiah Adams, Illinois thinks he's got a chance to go day one. Now, I, these these are all projections and ceilings, but that's the kind of talent you're returning. Sometimes you don't get the final year of those players, and Illinois is getting those final years back. Sometimes these guys just want to go pro. And to get all those guys back, like you weren't getting Chase Brown back, even though he considered it with NIL. Um, it just makes sense for Chase Brown to go pro. Unless he was making like Blake Corum money, which I hear's maybe close to seven figures. Uh, didn't make sense for Chase Brown. Go pro. You've had your carries at the college level. I don't think you can improve your stock. And then Devin Witherspoon looks like a first-round lock. So the fact that they're retaining this despite a defensive coordinator change, despite Kevin Kane leaving, it's a really impressive recruiting job by Illinois. And big picture, you had the strongest trench positions, groups, that was weird to say, so statically right there. Um, you're the strongest team in the trenches in the Big Ten West. And what wins in the Big Ten West? It's been Wisconsin. It's been Iowa. It's been Northwestern. Those teams usually don't have the best quarterbacks. They usually don't have the best wide receivers. Though Wisconsin's trying to do that now under Luke Fickle, which will be interesting to watch. But you have the strongest defensive front in the Big Ten West for sure. Iowa's really good. I don't want to... Like, Iowa is probably going to be the team I picked to win the Big Ten West, but all of a sudden with some of these things coming back, like, Wisconsin will be interesting. It's a lot of change. But Illinois is starting to be in that conversation. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if some people, if we hear or see good things out of Luke Altmaier, um, you know, if we hear good things about the running back group, if Illinois might be a sexy pick by some people, which is weird to say, like, Illinois will not be picked at the bottom of the Big Ten. West this year. I'm sure some people will pick Nebraska again. And hey, I, they upgraded by coaches. You guys know I think that. But when you have that stronger trench play, that's that's massive. Now, you do have a hole at center that you got to fill because of Avery Jones. We all know how that went down. Uh, and I think they'll fill it. I think they'll go into the offseason, the spring. They'll see what they have at center, see if anybody else can work in at center. Maybe they can find a tackle and move somebody like Isaiah Adams to center. That's been that's been thrown around inside the program. But I, I think center's easier to find than to tackle. And I think it's an easy sell um, for Illinois that they can find another plug-and-play guy. Don't know if it'll be as good as Avery Jones, talent-wise. But if they if they can solidify that position, I think their offensive line's going to be really good. I think Zach Chrysler takes another step forward. Like He was really solid to good this year. Um, you know, especially for a Juco guy. Desmond Schuster's coming in to give you depth. Zach Barlev, give you depth. We hear good things about Josh Geske. Gives you more depth. And then the defensive line, you have more time to to give some of these freshmen that are coming in, right? Sed McConnell, maybe you can be a rotation guy. Um, But you need more time to bring in more talent. And as I said, I wouldn't be surprised if they had another defensive line transfer just to give them some short-term depth and a long-term potential starting option once Newton and Randolph go pro. So this 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 team in the Big Ten West, I'll probably have them top three when, when I fill it out. I think Iowa's definitely going to be in there. Wisconsin's a wild card. I, I still think Nebraska's a rebuild. I, I don't know how you can have confidence in Northwestern. Usually when they do well, you pick them to do well and then they do poorly and then you think they're going to do poorly, they do well. Well, they've just done poorly three of the last four years. 
So Minnesota, they got some big changes there. Uh, PJ Fleck, I, I give kudos to him. Like it's one of the most stable programs right now in the Big Ten West. But Illinois should be in that mix when we're talking about. It. You never know in the West. Like so, so little um, goes as predicted because everything's so close. And, and Purdue's got big question marks, right? I think Ryan Walters is a heck of a coach. Uh, he's got a young staff. I, I think it's exciting to see where they go. But I do think they got some roster holes they have to fill especially about the position we've talked about in the trenches. Uh, and, of course, a quarterback change, and you lose your best wide receiver and all those things. Um, Purdue's got a lot of turnovers, so we'll see how they go. But Ono's got to feel like it's got its best foundation of a roster going into the season. Doesn't mean there's not question marks. Quarterback, running back, wide receivers, can they take another step forward? Can wide receiver be a strength moving forward? That's still a huge question because you're still pretty young at that position outside of Isaiah Williams, Casey Washington, Patrick Bryant, right? Secondary. We saw some good things against Mississippi State, uh, but the the issue there is you're going to be young. But the great thing there is you have a dominant front seven, which should be a dominant front seven as long as they stay healthy up front. So Illinois football should feel really good about what's happened. Outside of Avery Jones over the last month, I think this offseason is going really, really well uh, for Illinois. Of course, you lose some staff members. We'll find out what happens on that front. But uh, when it comes to the roster, I think this has gone really, really well for Illinois football. All right, Michael Tulip breaks down Illinois basketball coming up next on the Illinois Enquirer podcast. All right, it's that time of week. We catch up with our guy, Illinois Enquirer basketball analyst, former Illinois Wright State basketball player, Michael Tulip. And Illinois is on a roll, Mike. We thought this team was capable of it after an 0-3 Big Ten start. You're wondering... Will it click? Uh, but it has. Four straight wins for Illinois uh, as they improve to 13-5 and five overall, 4-3 and three in the Big Ten. Uh, so since the last time we caught up with you, Mike, on this podcast, Illinois has beaten Michigan State at home, then goes on the road uh, and beats Minnesota despite some early foul trouble. So I'll just give it to you. Like Out of those two games, what stood out the most for you? I think you see how fluid things look when execution and effort come together and offensively you're generating good shots you're getting to your spots and because of that there's more predictability with where guys are supposed to be so turnovers come down because there's less freestyling and and trying to figure it out guys know where they need to be where they need to cut and most importantly the passer knows where they're going to be where they're going to cut and that's kind of you can maybe become a little bit more easy to scout but the trade-off is that you're you're getting more possessions and you're finishing more possessions. So, and what that's doing too is because they're not turning it over and they're generating good shots, it's putting less stress and strain on their transition defense. And we know when this team gets that defense set, it's it's one of the better defenses in the country. I'm glad you brought up the turnover stat right away because it's, it's one I've been tracking here, Mike. They ended up with 11 at Minnesota, but a lot of those were late uh, when some of those you know, bench guys were in. But they averaged 14 turnovers through the first 14 games. That's about 9.7 over the last four. And they've only allowed, I think it's 21 points off turnovers over the last four games. Like There were games Illinois was giving up more than 21 points off turnovers. That's made their defense look better too, right? So like it all kind of comes together like both the offensive and defensive ends right now it does and you see that how that blends and this is why i love this game because it all (laughs) ties together what you're doing on the offensive end absolutely affects what you're doing on defensive end and vice versa and you're seeing 
this group because we knew they had a good defense. And especially when they abandon the switching and they get more just down to brass tacks and more matchup dependent, now you're getting better defensive possessions, which lead to getting out on offense and then better offensive possessions that are helping your your really elite half-court defense. So it's it's something that you want to obviously look in, to see them being consistent with, uh, especially as you start to get into late January, into February. That's that's when league titles are, are typically won or lost. So they got a lot of good stuff to build on because now you got five out of seven at home and yeah. you protect home court at a minimum, you're in a pretty good spot here. Mike, I want to bring up uh, a few stats here, and it just kind of goes off of what you're saying. Um, four straight games of allowing teams under 70 points uh, after that was allowing 70-plus in five straight games against high-major opponents. The effective field goal percentage of 50% in all five games. And then their offensive efficiency is now top five in the league. It, it, it's just amazing, Michael. You, you went through why some of those things happened. It's amazing how quickly it flipped for this team. Yeah, and again, it's it's all tied together. Mm-hmm. I think defensively, you're, you're, you're stopping teams because you're setting up that half-court defense because of what you're doing offensively. And I think another little wrinkle to them abandoning the switching is I think now you allow guys to accept individual challenges defensively. And when I say that, I mean Terrence Shannon can go into a game being like, I freaking got Jameis in battle, man. Yeah. Like, that's my guy. And now when Ty Rogers comes in, he's like, that's my guy. And and when you have these linchpins on these different teams, uh, Dawson Garcia, Jameis in battle, next game. It's a, Joey Hauser. They shut him down, right? Joey Hauser. You allow these guys to – if you want to be selfish defensively, go for it. Uh, in the right way, obviously. But you're never going to fault a guy for being like, yeah, sorry, man, you're not scoring on me tonight. Now, you can't do that as much when you're switching because the matchups are never the same. You're always – you're up here, you're down here, you're going here, switch here, you go up. And now guys can really accept the challenge of their defensive assignments. And two, if you're a coach and you got a guy who's maybe on the middle part of the scout and he's killing you and he's doing exactly what you said he was going to do in the scout, now you look and see who that matchup is. And you're getting killed, man. But you can – there's more accountability there – and granted, you can have accountability for the whole team because when you're switching, but now it's guys that can really take on that challenge. Because I'll say this, man. You would not have been able to tell that Terrence Shannon was not having a good offensive game in that game. And I'm not sure you could say that a month ago. Because I think he got fixated on those things. He had a, a play this past game against Minnesota. I think, I think he turned it over. He, it was kind of a helter-skelter fast break possession he dribbled off his foot and went right to Minnesota and initially he like puts his hands up in the air whatever and then snaps right back into it starts pressuring the ball at half court gets into him makes the entry pass that much harder they're able to get a hand on it because of his ball pressure and then he's leaking out for just an easy you saw it It was a right-handed layup he caught it and just basically walked in for a layup and it's funny how the game rewards you with that stuff, mm-hmm. with your effort. There were two times in the first half that he created turnovers just from getting through screens. One was a moving screen, and one he got through and knocked Jamison Battle off balance, and they turned it over. And that's all from his effort. And you start to see, like I said, how that how the game 
rewards you. And shoot, if Terrence Shannon's going to do that, regardless of what kind of game he's having offensively, this team is <laughs> this team's going to be a rocket ship because it starts with him, right? And I it, it just does when you have a guy like that who's one of your best players and he's giving that type of effort, it trickles down. It just does. It permeates. And that's what you want to see from him because he's that talented, man. Yep. All, the, all the physical tools, all the talent, all the skill. And when he plays with that type of effort consistently, whoo, oh, man, it, it's dangerous. We've talked about how the aggression early in games – to start this win streak was leadership. I think that stuff you're talking about, that's leadership. Like maybe he's not, yes. you know, Terrence does have some voca- vocality to him, but I don't think he's IO. He's, he's not Trent Frazier quite from that. I think that perspective, but that, that stuff by example, I think permeates when guys know that he's a dude, right? Well, yeah. And you saw the guys that came in. Look, I mean, look at the effort. Not to say that Ty Rogers is a guy that doesn't give you consistent effort because he does, but man, Ty Rodgers was doing the same thing Terrence Shannon was doing. And then RJ Melendez had Jamison battle. And RJ Melendez was refusing to get screened. It 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 translates, man. And we always talk about like who's the leader? Who's and we think of leaders as just the guy that barks orders yeah. and it's that's that's not the case with this team. I think they do it by committee. I think Brad Underwood has a big hand in that. And that's fine. That that you know we <laughs> We can't just sit here and be like, who's going to be the leader that emerges? And it's got to be one guy. That's not always how it works. If you're winning games, you're winning games. And each each team is different and how that's constructed. So I was just really happy to see that from him because I think that was always there. Yeah. And it like we always talked about with him, it wasn't a care thing. It wasn't like, I care, I don't care. It's just, it's really hard, human nature of it, to try to compartmentalize all these things when you're counted on and he had the luxury at Texas Tech to just kind of be like, you know, maybe he could do that at times. Not here because he's he's that important to this team and he's accepted that challenge and they're they're getting rewarded as a team for it. Mike, we've talked a lot about this guy's defense, but we're starting to see the offense come alive. Like Dane Danger was a mid-major killer for a while, right? Uh, he had 31 points. I just did the math on this through his first five Big Ten games. The last two, he's got 31 points on 18 field goals. It seems to me they're running more offense through Dane Danger. Like that has been a point of emphasis here recently. But but what's that mean for this team? And what have you seen from Dane the last few games offensively? Yeah, I think early in the season, this has been a process, right? Because you you saw the explosive efforts from him against some of those mid-major teams. But even that stretch that he had against Virginia – he had some finishes. He had that dribble keep for the dunk. And I think that may have been the moment for this staff that was like, hold on. I think we may have something here. that He can do it at this level. And the funny thing about the dribble keep is he was pulled out to more of that free throw line extended area, which is kind of where he's at in spread. So it's, it's funny extrapolating that down the road. That's become more prevalent. And Let me just interrupt you real quick, Mike, just to throw this out there. He had 13 against UCLA. Uh, five against Virginia, eight yeah. against Maryland, nine against Texas. So, yeah, he did have these flashes, but he just didn't see the the performances he had the last couple of games. So, go ahead. Yeah, and look, it's all it's all tied together, too, for him, is when you know you're a focal point, which he is now, they're, they are trying to get it into him. Terrence Shannon, these guys, they're, they're dribbling up. And part of it's he runs the floor hard. 
and he gets to his spot. So now in secondary transition, if it's a guard that has to come and hold because their big man's not sprinting back, now you can quick enter it, and he's got a guard on him. He can go to work. Now they maybe have a, a the big that finally recovers. You got two guys on there. He can pass it out. It's 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 working, and it's because he's so efficient. I mean, he's he's whatever he is. For, he's got to be high sixties, maybe low seventies from the field. Seventy two percent. Yeah, man. Like <laughs> you're gonna go back to the well yeah. on that, and that's not to say you're gonna force feed him thirty times a game, but he's efficient in the touches that he gets and he's kind of starting to figure out who he is as well i've made this comment before he's not Nikola jokic i get he's a better passer out of the post than kofi but that's not saying much he you know he is the type of guy where he's been so selective with when he starts trying to pass it out when he has the advantage because shoot when he's single coverage there's not i'm not sure there's a guy in this conference that can handle him. I think he can continue to get efficient looks. Now he still hasn't run into like the Hunter Dickinson's, Cliff O'Murray, Zach Eadies of the world. So maybe that's when we get an even better barometer. But post entry entry touches are post entry touches, and you want to get him regardless. Not just because hey, we want a bucket, because hey, we want to get cuts off of it. We want movement. We want inside out. That's it's and it's pretty incredible that they went and found a guy like this who had no high major track record had played right. in three games and now you could argue that he's, he's one of the better bigs in the conference and he's one of the most important players in the program the next couple of years like i i hate to get ahead of myself mike but for everything he's giving you now like dane danger and Jaden Epps are your go-to scorers yeah. next year right and you could add a transfer and maybe somebody else's emerges but like he is a pillar of, of what you're going to do the next two years and you feel really good about that like I, I get caught ahead, thinking ahead of myself, but the fact that you have Danger, Epps, Rogers, Harris, Goody, you know, Melendez potentially as, as your core going into another season, like that's a program, man. And then you get Imani Hansberry in there and, and more guys. Like th- that's what you're looking to build on. And, and Dane Danger is a, a foundational piece to what they're doing now and moving forward. Well, we talk, we talk about looking ahead, right? Hey, we don't want to look ahead. You kind of have to in this <laughs> day and age. I mean, you really do because – year in and year out you just don't know who's gonna be there and what that looks like and hey what's the contingency plan if this guy leaves and if that and you know we don't want to think too far in the future but like you kind of have to so having these guys i'm watching epps just become this confrontational driver and his his ability to finish off the glass and with his offhand and just get into his spots he used his you know talon cooper's an older guy uh, he's played a lot of college basketball and Jay Neff's in the second half is using his shoulder, backing him in under the basket and laying it in. I mean, those two guys for sure. If you got a if you got a point guard and we'll get into Epps, because I got some comments on on him as well, some some really positive comments. Yeah. But Epps in danger, and then you got, you know, uh, maybe another step from Melendez, another step from Luke Goody, and you fill in these other parts, that's how you sustain winning, man. Yeah. All right, before we get into some of those freshmen that that really seem to be settling in here, Mike, we got to bring up Matthew Meyer, who has played like an all-Big Ten player uh, the last several weeks. First eight games, 5.6 points on 30% shooting, 0.3 blocks. Last 10 games, 15.4 points, 50% shooting, 2.3 blocks per game. What has clicked? Like, why is he playing his best basketball right now? Yeah, look, Matt is too skilled, too athletic, too versatile 
to not have movement offensively, to not be involved in multiple ways offensively. So he's at his best when he has that movement, and that's dribble handoffs, that's uh, pin downs, that's choice actions that you saw against Minnesota and other games are getting him into these wedge actions. They're finding different ways to get him involved. You saw that Michigan State game. I don't know what the call is, stack three, whatever it was, let's run it 15 times. And, and credit Brad Underwood because he's – whether it's Terrence Shannon or – Coleman Hawkins or you know he's he's been so good at putting these guys in different spots and you have plays that are layered right where they're playing to multiple guys strengths it's not just hey this is an ISO for Terrence this is hey we're at Nebraska it's the second half we're going to run that wedge action bring Terrence up to the top we're going to screen Matthew Meyer into the long post we're going to hit him in the long post we're going to dive Dane Danger to the <laughs> rim because we know when we do that that's going to pull the big from the weak side and we're going to skip it because that big from the weak side is guarding Coleman Hawkins who just made six threes against Wisconsin like that's how you put it all together and that's what's so impressive about it because now you get into this game they ran that choice action out of spread I'll show it in the film for Terrence like five straight times and then they ran that choice action, and the second option was for Coleman Hawkins. Now they ran it through, and Coleman Hawkins gets a three. And then they run the same thing on the other side for Matthew Meyer twice in a row. He hits a three. They go back to it again. He gets it off the dribble and lays it in. And shoot, man, I, I mean, that's – I think getting out of the five out and going more to spread, now I think, I think Coach Underwood has allowed himself to have a little bit more of a hand being a tactician here. And being like, all right, I can see this. We ran this. I know this well. What's working? And let's just keep going back to it because he's he's, he's pretty good. Hell, he's been pitching a hell of a game. From I, the I was going to say, no we know him as a great tactician, right? Yep. Like that. That's when he came from Stephen F. Austin. That's what he was known at Oklahoma State. Scrapped everything, changed it to fit his talent, Juwan Evans. And we know what happened here to scrap things with with Kofi, scrap things with Io, um, and, and last year's team. He it does feel like he's he's put his system to where it makes him shine too because you're starting yeah. to see those things like you're saying calling these plays making these sets like it just there's so much set there's so much more where he has his hands on everything rather than just letting the players freestyle right and that's that's the beauty of having a spread foundation. And it's not just, I got to come down every time and call a different set play. The set plays are within spread, yeah. but you can at least see within it what you want to run. And guys know it. It's patterned. It's layered. There's multiple options out of it. And they become harder to guard. And, and we'll go back to Matt Meyer here. Matt Meyer, the variety, right? Him get action, chasing, skip to danger, dribble handoff, exploiting mismatches, pin downs out of spread choice action out of spread that variety has amplified his game offensively and i think too now you're because you're doing that offensively they're setting their half court defense and i think that's where he thrives too because sometimes he'll block shots but sometimes he's blocking shots because he got beat or he fell asleep his recovery is great but that's getting them going on on both ends and look he's this the change to spread and that variety has allowed him to generate production outside of isolation. Because when he was doing it before, he was really having to generate out of isolation. And when you generate so much out of isolation, there's there's no stickiness to that. Like that's just, that's a possession by possession thing. Now 
because he's generating it within the, the confines of spread, now you can just now you can pick on guys because you can put him in different spots. So I it's another it's like the thousandth reason why this shift to spread has been so beneficial for this team. But the most important thing is that it's your really, really good offensive players, the ones that can generate high, you know, high uh, percentage shots for you. They've taken an, another step because of that. So, I mean, Meyer's been tremendous, man. He's going to, if he, if he continues at this rate, yeah, he's, I don't see how he stays off in all league team. Yeah. And you and I talked about it. Like you're starting to see, oh, there's another NBA prospect here. I don't know if Meyer will get drafted. He's older, right? But he's going to be in a summer league. And you and I were texting before, like, how many teams in the Big Ten have three-plus summer league guys? We came up with Rutgers, which we love. We love that team, by the way. Um, Rutgers, potentially, with Mulcahy, Omarui, McConnell, and now Camp Spencer, who's been as big of a transfer as anybody in the Big Ten so far. Can you find a third Michigan guy? You know, Jet, obviously, and, and Hunter, I don't think there's a third guy. I'm not a big fan of that team after the first two guys. There's not many teams in the league. So the fact that you have three guys now potentially playing at that level, I know Coleman can be up and down, but we know how big of an impact he is when he's on the court. Terrence has been, you know, outside of the shooting threes, has been all league, one of the top six, seven players in the league. And that's just hard for any team to, to overcome. Like we saw it in the Michigan state game, like they slowed down Shannon, they slowed down Hawkins for a little bit and Matthew Meyer got going. Yeah. And look, you can have NBA talent and guys that can have a cup of coffee in the NBA or play five to 10 years or 12 years, whatever it is. But the funny thing about college basketball is it doesn't always translate. And I think that argument would be amplified if this was January 7th, maybe when when things were not so great but look i think back in 2019 this there was a vanderbilt team that when you go and look on sports reference there are i think six guys <laughs> six guys on that team have nba logos next to them and they went 0 and 18 in sec play <laughs> That's right. so it doesn't matter if you can't put it all together and look i think yes i do i think coleman gets drafted i do do i think terrence gets drafted absolutely I think my guess would be if Terrence continues at this rate, he's going to find himself in the 20s. I think he's going to be another guy that that works out well. Yeah. Um, when teams have him in, I think he can shoot it. And that's probably where Coleman is going to thrive too. Um, he may not blow people out of the water on his measurement stuff, um, but you get him into a workout. Man, I was I was watching pregame when I was up there for the Michigan State guy. He doesn't miss. It, like he's he's gonna thrive in that situation, and you can argue the same about Matt Meyer because Matt Meyer might have more of an NBA ready game than all of them. Yeah, right. and, and that's when he wants to challenge himself defensively, and because he can guard, we know that, and he's <laughs> he's one of the better rim protectors in the Big Ten. We've seen that as well. So him putting it all together, his game off the bounce, exploiting mismatches, he finishes around the rim. I think he's fifty four percent from two this year he's 37 percent from three i mean that's that's crazy efficient um because he wasn't as efficient last year for that baylor team but now you see you know the has a little more energy the ball's in his hands he can do a lot so shoot it's not a bad problem to have but you still have to put it all together and i think that's what they've been able to do the past few weeks right is hey we have this talent let's not yeah. waste it because all three are probably gonna be gone this year well two for sure yeah three most likely 
And they're they're making the most of it, man. They got a lot of talent. Yeah, so we've mentioned Danger, those three guys. They're potentially NBA guys. And then you have Jade Nepps playing really good league guard and, and a couple other freshmen really stepping up. So I know you wanted to hit on Epps, but, man, Harris – the offensive game comes and goes, uh, but he's he shot threes better than I thought he would so far this year. It's the contested layups uh, that, that might be a concern, but we know what he brings defensively, right? Like his deflections were ridiculous in Minnesota, good rebounding, but we're seeing Ty, Ty Rogers emerge. So uh, you feel like those guys are settling? What do you got on the freshman? Yeah, look, I mean, Sky Clark's departure, I know everybody has comments one way or another on it because it coincided with this win streak, but what it's allowed this team to do is just focus on a set rotation. And that's helped these freshmen understand that like, Hey, I don't got to look over my shoulder. I, I know I'm staying in. I know I'm going to play 15 to 25 and Epps case close to 30 minutes. And that makes you feel a little bit more freedom and trusting your abilities a little bit. And you're not dumbing down your game. We're like, I can't turn it over. I can't make a mistake. You'll be, 25% the player that you are. And for Epps, what you're looking for is for a guy that handles the ball like he does, which is, you know, he's he's becoming the point guard on this team. And when, you, when you're a point guard, you have to have some sort of command. And he's showing that. And it's showing in little, little ways. He basically puts a nail in the coffin against Michigan State, gets downhill, finish. Yep. But there was, there was one point in the game, last game, that I really liked. And it showed me like, that's a point guard. That's a guy thinking the game. That's a guy that understands where the defense is at and, and how to make them pay. Brad Underwood called a timeout. They drew up a play for their last offensive possession of the first half. Okay. And Minnesota goes zone, which very common. They call a timeout. You're going to come out, blow up their play because they didn't draw it up for zone. Yeah. Now you go zone, and as a point guard, he's got the ball in his hand. You're directing traffic. Ty Rogers is in the middle, and you got RJ Melendez on the left wing, and you got Matthew Meyer in the corner. So obviously, you have two guys up top in the two three. You have the the bottom guy of the three uh, in the two three zone guarding Meyer in the corner. And what does Epps do? He points at Ty Rogers and says, "Come here and set this screen on the inside of the top of the two three zone." And that eliminates the guy guarding Tyra, guarding Jaden Epps, and it pulls the second guy at the top of the 2-3 zone over to guard Epps, which creates two-on-one on the left side, which that, that bottom 2-3 zone defender now has two guys. You quick pass it to RJ Melendez. Guy has to come out one more to Meyer three. And that's all from Jaden Epps just having command. You come up here, you yeah. set this, because I know if I come off, he'll commit. We get two-on-one bucket. That's the stuff. And that's only learned – I'm not sure how much of a point guard he's had to be. He's a scoring guard, man. And he's in those scoring combo guards. That's your thought. In high school, you're like, I'm not necessarily a point guard. I am trying to get a bucket, and if I get the defense to commit too much, then I'm passing. But I'm not naturally thinking, how can I break this down? Like, that was – Curbelo did that. Yeah. You know, that's what, that's what he did. But now with Epps, he's probably more gifted – and consistent offensively than an Andre Corbello. Corbello is a better facilitator, but that little stuff I think is just, it's so important because he's only going to get better at it. Yeah. He's only going to get better at it. So, and he's become such a good downhill driver. We know he can score. He's shooting a good clip from three. 
he's I think he's been 10 a game like all year it's consistent like, it's not like he's had these crazy peaks and valleys he's had games where maybe he's had two or four points but for the most part he's right there at in that like nine to 15 range every game it feels like yeah 63 percent at the rim for a guy his size that's nuts yeah for a guy his size and, and a freshman is is really good and it feels like it's only gone up um but I want to ask you about Ty Rogers man starting to be that yeah. junkyard starting to be the player I thought he could be uh immediately and it doesn't always show up in points obviously but we're starting to see him be more aggressive and more confident on that end and just the offensive boards I just think are so huge and then what he's doing defensively, you mentioned it. Uh, I thought what he did against Greasel uh, in Nebraska was like, whoa, there it is. And they did it again against uh, against Jameson Battle. Did make a big impact against Michigan State. But uh, get, seeing him gain confidence, I think, is is huge. Yeah, he's, he's blossoming. I, I think he's kind of transferred that energy of being super frantic to being, hey, I'm going to play with – an incredible motor. I'm going to play with incredible pace. And that's all molded into this, this energy bunny that, that it's really hard to match his motor. Mm -hmm. I don't like these teams are really struggling to match his motor because he brings it every single time that dude played 22 minutes. He didn't waste a second, not a second. He put 22 minutes and gave you everything he had for 22 minutes. And not many guys can say that. And I, I've said it before. I mean, Ty Rogers plays like his life is on the line. Mm -hmm. And he's channeled that a little more. I think he's finding his spots more. Terrence Shannon drives down the, the down Broadway, right down the middle of the lane. He's in the corner. He's like, why would I space out to the corner? I'm not a three-point shooter. I'm diving to the basket. I'm cutting. I'm backdoor cutting, dump off layup. He's getting offensive boards. That's how he's generating all of his production through being that utility guy and being a guy that can guard multiple people. I mean, he could guard anybody in this league. Literally, I mean, literally he can, and he's not always going to get the best whistle because he's a freshman. That's just what happens. But more and more now you're starting to see that these refs are, aren't really faulting him for his physicality. Whereas a lot of freshmen, like you start chesting guys or you're going sit on the bench because they'll just call quick fouls on you. So his emergence, I think is so important because on a very, very small scale where when Danger and Hawkins get in foul trouble, you have Brandon Lee to hold the fort down for three minutes. You know, if it's a Zach Eady situation like Boston's Verdong did last year, you have a guy now with Ty Rogers on a much larger scale that, hey, if we need you to close out games, you can do it. If we need you in big moments, you can do it. If we need you guarding the best player on the other team, you can do it. That's You can't say that most times about a freshman. So in some way he's letting you down and then offensively he's continuing to understand who he is and it's like hey I'm not this shooter I'm not going to space the floor cool I'm going to dive to the basket I'm a backdoor cut I'm an offensive rebound and that's all you need from him man yeah. there's enough guys in this team that can score and do all those other things he's getting all of his production right now from being a guy who's just relentless relentless in his effort and I don't see how that doesn't help his team down the road as a former player Mike like, I just want to mention this real quickly. I, d I don't know if he's going to make a big impact the rest of the year, but it's got to be really cool to see Brandon Lee have a game like that. Dude, it, <laughs> and I can't, I can't relate because I'm not seven feet tall. <laughs> That's right. But when you're a guy that doesn't get a ton of opportunity, and not only that, when you do get your opportunity, you don't know when the next one's coming. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I went through that when I played. I mean, I, I cracked the rotation. I told you against Purdue, got put in the first half, got backdoored. 
John Octius dunks it. I didn't play for two months after that. And so finding a way in those minutes that you have to make an impact without being like, here's my heroic moment. Yeah. Like I got to go above and beyond to show them that I'm serviceable. It's just do what you do, do what you're asked. And that's how you build trust. Now in, in games against Purdue, right. Or one of these, or some of these teams that you get in foul trouble, it's, they don't have a problem looking down the bench and being like, Brandon Lee, get in. Cause we've, we've seen it. Like, I know he's going to do his job. I know he's not going to go rogue. He's going to be, you know, and it wasn't perfect. No. He gets he gets beat downhill by Garcia, lays it in. I mean, there were a couple of fouls. I think he had three fouls in 13 minutes, which is better than the five and eight minutes I think he had <laughs> earlier in the season. But if you have a seven-footer on your bench, pretty far down your bench, that at least has a pulse when he gets out there and understands the game, understands who he is, how's that not an asset? Yeah. When, when you when you got to dive into your depth and – figure it out and piece it together, especially on the road. Good for him, man. Yeah. I, I mean, that, that's why Brad Underwood was singing his praises after the game, because that's what you want, Where whether it's the first guy or the 10th guy or the 11th guy or the 12th guy. I know who I put in. They're going to do their job. And they don't feel like they have to go above and beyond. And that's what this, this culture, that's what this program is built on, is like it's not about you. I get that like, you're getting your shot here. But it's still about the collective. And I thought he did a tremendous job of playing within himself, not doing too much. And he played big minutes, man. If I had to bring up one concern, Mike, about this team right now, which it's hard to when you win four straight games, right? But schedule's going to get a little tougher here uh, with some some better teams coming up. Uh, During conference play, they're 13th in the Big Ten in three-point field goal percentage, shooting 32%. Um, Terrence Shannon... I think since that UCLA game is is about 20% from three, but during conference play, 20.7%. RJ Melendez, 27.8%. The good news is Hawkins is at 38, Myers at 37, Epps is at 38. Um, are you concerned as a guy who shot the ball really well, concerned at all about their three-point shooting? No, I mean, it's not the end-all, be-all, and it's certainly not a sign that you can't win the league. Look at the team that shared it last year. Wisconsin was last. I mean, they were 31% from three. and The best three-point shooting team right now is Ohio State, who should be one in five. <laughs> who's reeling right now. So, look, I think some teams have to live and die by it because – and maybe that's a Penn State – because they, they can't generate – and or they don't have the, the athleticism, the size, the skill to generate consistent paint production. Yeah. I mean, they scored, I mean, Illinois scored 54 points in the paint against Minnesota. So who cares about the outside shooting? They almost outscored them in the paint. Let, let you know, 54 to 60. It was, it, I mean, it was, it was close. So to prove your point, they're number one in the Big Ten in two point percentage. Exactly. So there's a trade off, right? If you're completely inept offensively and you can't shoot it and you're not generating any any high quality looks, I mean, that was that was Indiana's struggle over the years to a degree. It was it was a ripple effect? They didn't have the point guard play to generate high-quality three-point looks. So they were semi-contested three-point looks. And then outside of maybe Trace Jackson Davis, they didn't have a ton of guys that could operate in the paint and score or get downhill and get two feet in and, you know, go through your chest and and do that. So I think, you know, this this team can do that. They can score in the paint and they can do it in multiple ways. We can feed danger or we can just exploit matchups or we can get Terrence Shannon going downhill or Matthew Meyer going downhill. Cause I think you've seen that with Matt too. Is like, shoot, he's really good at getting downhill and scoring in the paint. He's just got great touch and, and great feel, but 
you know, I, I think for, for some of these guys, I know there's a number of them that aren't shooting particularly well in Big Ten play. Uh, I know there's a number of them that are. And for the ones that aren't, I would expect some positive regression. Like, I would expect – like, it's coming for RJ Melendez. It's coming. And for Terrence Shannon, it's coming too. Because I And all you have to look at is quality of shot. You know, if you have good quality of shot, then water always – finds its level. And I say the same thing about Coleman Hawkins and Jaden Epps, who I think in Big Ten player are high 30s, right? Meyer's a good enough shooter where I don't think it really matters. But at least for Epps and Hawkins, they're getting enough quality looks. Hawkins can teeter on that sometimes. Yeah. But if they continue to get quality looks, they're both good enough shooters. Where I, I, don't, I don't know why they can't stay above 35%. So once Shannon and, and Melendez pull it up like you're going to be probably middle of the pack and if they're yeah. if they're middle of the pack from three and they're still doing what they're doing in the paint oh boy you just turn that into a positive mike the fact that they could have positive you know regression here uh could be a really really good thing all right big stretch coming up but it is a very i, I keep saying mike this is the time if you want to put some pressure on purdue who boy they look so consistent compared to every other team in the big 10 uh, this is a stretch you, you can make up some of that ground. Five in the next seven are at home, and it starts with two big home games. I know these teams are reeling, but we know they're talented. Uh, but Indiana, with all their injuries right now, they're two and four in the Big Ten. And then Ohio State, which has lost, I believe, four in a row as well, and should be five, I believe, with the Rutgers loss that they have that shouldn't have been a win. You got those in the next two games. So what are you looking for against Indiana uh, in that matchup? And, and then if you want to dive into Ohio State as well. Yeah, I'll get to I'll get to Indiana and I'll get to Ohio State. I wanted to throw this in here because I think it's so important when you're thinking big picture on a potential title run, right? I know we're what seven games into the schedule, but that can slip away from you quickly. And to me, we look at schedules and we look at names most of the time and it's like, "Oh, tough four-game stretch. If we come out of here 3 and 1 or if we you know, we can give ourselves a chance. You do not win this league if you don't take care of business against the bottom half. Oh, yeah. You just you just don't. And and that's proven. Look at the past two seasons before this. I mean, this Illinois program in 2020, 2021, bottom half of the Big Ten, seven and two. Last year, nine and one. And look, there's three losses right now against the bottom half of the Big Ten, but that's not to say the two that I just mentioned were final standings Northwestern could find its way in the top half Penn State could find its way in the top half who knows Maryland could go on a run who knows there's a lot that has to happen but you do not win this league if you don't win those games so that's part of the reason I know we're 37 minutes into this that I want that was a mature win against Minnesota and against Nebraska like your past two road games you drop one of those you really put yourself behind the eight ball because you're going to have games and you're going to have games moving forward, whether it's a Purdue or some of those where it's like, ah, close one and we drop it. But you have to win those. Like, if you want a shot at a title, you have to win those. So, getting into Indiana, they're starving. They're starving. And I don't want to make too much of players-only meetings, but I I think Woodson said that they had a players-only meeting before Wisconsin. They played a little bit more inspired. I know that game probably set college basketball back 30 (laughs) years in the first half, but... They need this one bad. Yeah. And you have to understand, if you're this Illinois team, that the more this season goes on, the more teams are going to need this game bad. And 
what made this program so good over the past couple of years was Io and Trent being like, great, we won on the road against Minnesota, or great, we beat Wisconsin at home, or great, we beat Michigan State at home. Stay focused. It's the next game. That doesn't mean anything. It's over. Move on. Turn the page. And that's why they were so consistent. They didn't rest on their laurels. What they did against Michigan State, place was buzzing, orange out, all that, awesome, and then have a letdown. That's why they won championships. And if you want to do the same for this team, you have to adopt that mindset. And specifically with Indiana, right, I think I think you can out-tough them. And you can say the same thing about Ohio State. I think you can do it to both of those teams. They're a bit younger. They're experienced in some areas. But, man, Indiana specifically, if you're guarding Indiana, right, it is imperative, imperative. And I'll go through it on the film because it happened a couple times against Minnesota. Accept the challenge against TJD accept the challenge but understand that when they run their high ball screen stuff or their dribble handoff stuff the point like your first order of business is the ball get through the screen one and if you get to the screen you allow dane danger coleman hawkins whoever to get back to tjd quicker and not have him be this lot threat but if you are hung up on a screen and you are the big if you're dane danger if you're coleman hawkins do not abandon early to get back to TJD and start just letting guys go down Broadway, Jalen hood Shafino, and get layups point blank at the rim. Your first order of business is stopping that ball. Don't leave early. That's why you have a tag man on the weak side. If he's got to come over and bump TJD, he'll do it. If you need to emergency switch, they can do it. That's, that's to me, just like Michigan State, that's where this game is going to be condensed to, is that middle third, how they handle ball screens with TJD you know he'll Barkley his way into the post he'll do it he'll do a bunch of different things but I think their length and this is a big team I mean Hood has yeah. got size you know Galway's got size uh Geronimo's got size and they're athletic and so I think it's a good matchup but I still think the way this Illinois team's executing in their effort could wear this team down man because I if there's one thing I've seen that's in, with this Indiana team it's that if you can punch them in the face, man, they will. Mm. They do. And you could probably say that about this Illinois team about a month ago, <laughs> right. but they've turned that corner. Like, I'm confident in saying that this team, and that's like Minnesota game, they showed no panic, knowing that if they drop that game at Minnesota, we're back to probably the skies following. Like, they had no panic. I think they yeah. knew they were the better team. They knew if they continued playing with that effort – the game is going to take care of itself. And I think you can do the same against Indiana. You know us reporters like to do the narrative thing. Um if you if you beat Indiana at home, you, you buried them. Like I, I think they're buried when yeah. you talk about Big Ten race. Uh, and, and all of a sudden, people are talking about Illinois. Like, oh, this is the team, or Rutgers, Illinois, Iowa. These are the teams yep. that that can do it and that can you know have a chance to catch up to Purdue at the end. Ohio State, man, like they're still highly ranked in the Ken Palm. The metrics still love them because they're efficient offensively, but. Um, Bryce Sensabaugh is a dude. Feels like they just cloned Malachi Branham. Uh, what do you think of that matchup on Tuesday, Mike? Because uh, we won't be able to talk to you before then. Well, if Indiana's starving, Ohio State's famished. Yeah. I mean, they look, they're, they're having similar struggles right now that Illinois had a couple weeks ago. I mean, this is a new team. There's a lot of transfers. There's freshmen. And right now they don't know who is who. Like their, their role allocation is all messed up. I think Zed Key thinks he's the guy at times. I think Justice Suing thinks he's the guy at times. I think Bryce Sensabaugh for sure thinks he's the guy sometimes. And he may be the guy. 
And that is hard sometimes for upperclassmen to accept. And then you have these other parts. You have McNeil, you have Tanner Holden off the bench, you have Bruce Thornton, you have a number of guys that I think are just trying to find their way. Now they have talent, there's no question, and they have size, they're physical, um, but you can make life difficult on them. I've seen Bryce Sensible, and this happens a ton with freshmen, he gets frustrated. And a lot of times he can come into games and be the more physical guy, have size on you, he's skilled, can shoot. I think they can bother him with their length, their size. They're going to throw a ton of bodies at him. And two, I think whether it's Terrence Shannon or Coleman Hawkins or Matthew Meyer, you can send a lot of guys at him. And that's, again, going back to this defense where now you can accept individual challenges. And I know that if you're Terrence Shannon, if you're one of these older guys, you're licking your, I mean, you're licking your chops thinking about a frustrating a freshman. And frustrating a potential lottery pick like yeah he's gonna be up there yeah yeah. no for sure he can be a top 15 pick no question it is size ability to shoot it offensive repertoire like that is you have all the motivation in the world defensively if you're illinois you're like man we can we can stick it to these guys because they i mean i watched them against maryland maryland went on a little run to start the second half it was over for them because i'm not sure that they've gelled enough as a team a new team to be able to withstand those types of things so and they're small they are. They got. They're. They're big. Yeah, strong. But but they're but they're small. Length, yeah. And I think, I think that's another way that you can impose your will. So, it's a big home stretch, man. I mean, you win these. You win these two at home. You're sitting at six and three. Who knows what's going to happen for for some of these other teams? I think, you know, thinking about. I mean, I guess Rutgers. They go, Michigan State, Penn State, Iowa, for their next three two of those on the road mm-hmm. so yeah i mean you can you can certainly get some movement here and i, I don't know i mean t- purdue plays minnesota again for what feels like the seventh time <laughs> and uh then they get maryland but purdue has a tough stretch coming up i mean and ended end of january they go to michigan they got michigan state penn state indiana iowa all in a row and to me that's where they lock up the league or not yeah i mean if they if they run the table there it's Let's you can take your ball and go home. Um, but if they split some of those, if they keep that door open, they've already got one loss in conference. So it's if you're Illinois, you're sitting at six and three, and Purdue drops one of these next three. Game back. Yeah, uh, your game back. Ken Palm projects Illinois to win six of their next seven. A lot of those are two three point games, including a win at Wisconsin, yep. Indiana, Ohio State, um, Rutgers at home. Like all of those really close, but just tells you what, what they could do uh, during this next uh, couple of weeks. Well, Michael Tulip, thanks as always, man. Went a little longer, but there's so much to talk about with a team on a four-game win streak, man. Appreciate it. Let's keep it rolling. Thanks to Michael Tulip for joining us. As always, he is the goods. Uh, we're lucky to have him, man. Uh, he's, he's been fantastic. And uh, I learned something new. And check out the film room, uh, breaking down the Minnesota win. We'll have that up very shortly. Uh, fantastic stuff, as always, from Michael Tua. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Illini Choir podcast. Check us out on YouTube, where you can like, subscribe. Really grown that. It's been a lot of fun. The live post games have been really fun. Hope you guys are enjoying that. Love interacting with you guys after the after the games go down. We can kind of get fresh perspective. We can give you a little bit about what the players and coaches are saying. So that's been a lot of fun on our YouTube page. Also, 
Give us a follow, rating, and review wherever you get your podcasts, and check out all the new content at IlliniInquire.com. It might be the offseason for football, but as you guys know, it's been very busy. Uh, a lot of recruiting stuff going on as the staff is on the recruiting trail, checking out a lot of these high school prospects with the evaluation period. And, of course, basketball, huge, huge kind of homestand, five in the next seven uh, at home. We've got plenty of content on them as well. So check us out at IlliniInquire.com and go VIP for just $1 for your first month. As always, everybody take care of each other. Have a great day. And we'll talk to you next time right here on the Online Choir Podcast. Bye, everybody.